This is Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston, and you're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio, 89.5 FM and 92.5 FM in good old McLean County and Bloomington Normal, 88.3 in Pontiac, 97.1 in Lincoln, 89.1 in DeKalb Sycamore, covering much of central Illinois and some of northern Illinois. We're going to have a great show for you today. I'm here with my wife, Lynn. Remember, our show and the station is brought to you by you, so any donations that you can make are greatly appreciated. If you would like to make a donation, you can go to our website. That's catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's catholicspiritradio.com, and it'll tell you there how to make a donation. It'll tell you a little bit more about us. If you do want to call us, we do have a number, and you can call at 309 307-2427. Again, that's 309-807-2427. Coming up here, remember, uh, next week, November 22nd, we're going to have a guest, uh, Kathy Janke, and she is a lady who has been with the uh, Birthright Organization in Bloomington for over 30 years. So don't miss that. Put that down on your calendar. I think she'll be here with a friend of hers. We're going to ask her uh, all about uh, what uh, Birthright does and how they operate, and uh, you'll learn a lot of uh, important things and some very interesting things as well. So, again, put that on your calendar. We had uh, the last two shows were about integralism. I talked about integralism. I'm going to talk about it a little more today and finish up on it. I want to show today how integralism can work into uh, a foundation for our government laws to rest upon and how it is not in any way totalitarian and it doesn't force uh, any theocracy or religious uh, principles on individual people themselves or take away from the churches that they're going to. So we will talk about that. Before we start, I want to let you know that uh, I'm here with my wife, Lynn. I think I mentioned that, but uh, I'm going to ask her if she has anything to say before we start. This is October. It's the month of the rosary. All you good Catholics out there, you get your rosaries out and continue praying, especially in this culture we have, this culture of death and the threat of nuclear war. We really need to pray. So That's for sure. <laughs> it seems like our society is on a downward track, and again, this uh, the show today will get into that somewhat as we talk about integralism. Uh, I want to talk today about how it can work and not be theocratic or totalitarian. It serves the full uh, human and avoids uh, radical individualism, which we seem to be moving into now, and uh, it also avoids radical collectivism which again is another facet uh, that, we, that uh, people are pushing. Sort of a lot of people are identifying it as a communism or American Marxism. It's, I don't think, really original communism or original Marxism, but it's using a lot of the techniques and similarities to Marxism. So it seems as if uh, how we operate now moves between either a radical individualism that is uh, detrimental to society or it moves into a radical collectivism, uh, Marxism or communism or socialism, something along those lines. And we can show how integralism avoids both of those extremes, so that's what we'll talk about. I'm going to be reading from an article in uh, uh, Chronicles magazine, 
and uh, it's in the February uh, 2022 edition of the Chronicles. It's uh, titled Killing Ourselves, and it's by Kirkpatrick Sale. And by the way, it's in the same magazine in which another author, John Fronin, worries that integralism could bring a form of totalitarianism to the country and uh, advises against it. So there's uh, the two articles there in the the same magazine. But the fact is, I think uh, John Fronin is wrong. And uh, this article I'm going to read uh, after uh, another article taken from the newspaper, The Remnant, and uh, that paper is the July 31st, 22 edition uh, of The Remnant, and it's called A Defense of Organic Integralism, and it's written by Walker Larson, who is a grad, uh, uh, has graduate degree and a master's degree and is a, a teacher of an academy in Wisconsin and writes a very good article on it as well. And he also refers to the article that's in uh, Chronicles and that points out why John Fronin, he thinks, also is wrong. It's a very uh, comprehensive article, and I think you'll enjoy hearing from it. So uh, with that, we'll go ahead and start and talk about uh, the article in Chronicles magazine, Killing Ourselves by Kirkpatrick Sale. And he talks about what's wrong with our society here very briefly. It shows why there's such a need. He's not writing about integralism here, but it's showing why really in our, our society there is such a need for some kind of a foundation that avoids the extremes that we've been going to on one side or the other, extreme individualism, or on the other side, bigger and bigger government and an extreme form of socialism, whatever you want to call it, American Marxism, by some people call it. But uh, integralism walks a path between those two. It gives a lot of freedom and avoids uh, that kind of thing. And uh, so we'll get into that. Uh, It says here in the article, Killing Ourselves, a new book, The Sleeping Beauties, by neurologist Dr. Suzanne O'Sullivan, deals with several mysterious illnesses that cannot be readily explained and seem to fall outside the realm of medicine. The titular case involves some 169 adolescent female Mideast refugees in Sweden. Between 2015 and 2016, all had fallen asleep for months and could not be woken up. They were not in a coma, and brain scans showed that they were apparently normal. Nor were they faking. Some even had to be fed by tubes so as not to starve to death. Their only symptoms were that they all had undergone severe stress while escaping to Europe and had no certainty that they would be able to stay there. O'Sullivan eventually concludes that the only way to explain such phenomenal, such phenomenon Uh, is by understanding that the brain can hold immense power over the body. When the brain is faced with great stresses and shocks that no one can understand or treat, it may shut down the body, sometimes forever. Ultimately, Dr. O'Sullivan concludes that there are too many times when illnesses are treated with pharmaceuticals when they should be understood as the failure of society, of community, and family, of religion and spirituality to provide meaning and comfort to the individual. When societies lose a shared spirituality, uh, they suffer problems that are just as serious as regular medical problems. Uh, What the book vividly demonstrates is that spirituality, community, and family are in most cases simply not there to act as cures 
because they have been decimated by the modern state. And that seems to be happening. The state tramps all over individuals. And on the other hand, certain individuals are given free reign to engage in all kinds of behavior that is detrimental to themselves and society. And uh, it goes on. It says the role of religion in most uh, societies has been severely curtailed from what it once was. And that is going for, you know, all of what once was Christendom and what was once Western civilization. And because that's gone, the case for integralism is saying that our society is in a de decline and it has to be reinduced. Re religion has to be reintroduced as a foundation for our laws and for our society itself. It says now, America is now a country with regular mass shootings, murder rates on a seemingly inexorable rise, riots without consequences in the streets of a hundred cities, and a celebrity system spotlighting some of the most despicable creatures imaginable. It says such a country is bound to fail sooner rather than later. We can only hope that we will, be, we will be able to survive its collapse and stitch something new together in its wake. And what's being proposed here is integralism, and there are a lot of traditional Catholics who are, are, are talking about it, and uh, I went into it uh, in the last two shows. So I'm going to read uh, this article uh, by Walker Larson. And it's uh, beyond individualism, collectivism, and tyranny. In other words, something that will overcome radical individualism, collectivism, and tyranny. A defense of organic integralism. And uh, he starts out by qu quoting uh, William Shakespeare. And Shakespeare, uh, his play, uh, Troilus and Cressida, it says, There is a law in each well-ordered nation to curb those raging appetites that are most disobedient and refractory. He goes on, he says, recent criticisms of the movement known as integralist or sometimes illiberal have expressed concern that a confessional state using state power to enforce common good over and above individual rights will result in an unjust society, perhaps even a repeat of the totalitarian catastrophes of the 20th century. These arguments have asserted that no such use of centralized state power could be just or safe, even if it is directed at promoting objective goods in society, and that it will terminate in an oppressive theocracy. Opponents of integralism argue that the protections of liberalism, or at least a conservative formulated separation of church and state, let me get over here to the next page, are necessary either because they are needed to preserve the common good itself or because the common good shouldn't be the goal of governments in the first place. In the words of James Dominic Rudy, for instance, we have discovered in hindsight that the common good requires that the individual be protected from the overreach of government in many of the ways that classical liberal political theory outlined. In short, the critics of integralism become very nervous about the notion of a centralized confessional state pursuing explicitly religious ends in the public sphere by force. Bruce Fronin writes in the February 2020 issue of Chronicles magazine, the same issue that I just read from by Alexander Riley, Killing Ourselves, and Fronin goes on to say, the result is yet another variation on the theme of centralization and command 
by insulated elites convinced of their right to rule for the common good as they desire it. So he attacks integralism as being pushed by certain traditionalist elitist Catholics, I guess, uh, and it would result in uh, something being forced on people and in a totalitarian way. The article goes on, while some of these critics may agree with certain principles of integralism, they reject the proposed means of implementation as set forth by integralists such as Adrian Vermeule and Gladden Pippin, or Pappin rather, I'm sorry. My purpose in contributing to this dialogue is threefold. First, to defend a form of integralism against those who believe a liberal or even non-religious conservative social order brings about greater happiness, stability, and good for society than a social order informed by faith. Second, to make a distinction between integralist principles and their application. And third, to propose a new term to clarify that difference. I wish to show that integralism does not entail the establishment of a Leviathan-type state as many critics fear. Some of the proposed applications of integralist principles along Hobbesian lines of unlimited executive power should give us pause and are largely serving, unfortunately, to give integralism a bad name. To that extent, I agree with the critics, but let's not lose sight of the valuable principles of integralism in the fog of their misapplication. I wish to propose the use of a new term, organic integralism, to signify the application of integralist principles in a different way from the manner of application most in vogue at the present. The debate between liberalism and illiberalism really hinges on the question, what is the purpose of government? Classical liberalism, by, by way of John Locke, holds that the government's purpose is to protect the rights of individuals, particularly the right to self-determination. Within that framework, individuals choose their own good and then are left free to pursue it. Their quest, safeguarded by the state, which acts only to guard this freedom. Integralism, on the other hand, teaches that the end of government is to promote the common good. What is the common good, then? It is precisely the slipperiness of this term that often makes integralism's opponents uneasy. Let us put some grit on it, then, so it won't slide away so easily. St. Thomas Aquinas, following Aristotle, writes that the last end of human life is happiness. Happiness is precisely the good that everyone seeks, and common happiness, the happiness of the whole body politic, constitutes the common good. The end of government, then, is to promote this common good, which is defined as common happiness. Every law is ordained to the common good, Aquinas writes. To complete the definition, then, we must outline the integralist view of happiness. Aquinas teaches that true happiness consists in the practice of virtue and possession of truth. Logically, then, if happiness is the good of human life and happiness consists in virtue, then the common good consists in the promotion of common virtue, that is, the overall virtue of the civitax or body politic. But some standard is needed to judge what is virtuous and what is not, and this standard is in in integralism is provided by the Catholic religion. The faith, along with natural law, 
informs the human law so that it is oriented to the practice of virtue according to the moral teachings of Catholicism, which in turn serves the means to happiness here below and ultimate beatitude hereafter, a goal that the state must always keep in focus. <clears throat> the state also publicly recognizes its obligations to God. In this way, faith and politics are integrated. If this notion of the common good is accepted, it becomes hard to see how liberalism could serve the common good, as Rudy argues. For instance, since liberalism is predicated not on the promotion of social virtue, social societal virtue derived from the, an objective standard, but rather on individual freedom to choose whatever life goal one sees fit. Not only will many citizens choose a goal other than virtue and thus true happiness, but any idea of a common goal, common happiness, will be impossible as each individual chooses a path different from all their fellows. At best, we are left with the common goods, which is itself an oxymoron, since goods is the plural by definition, not be, since goods in the plural will, by definition, not be common. Opponents of integralism fear that a common good-oriented politics, or at least one enforced by state power, will steamroll the individual and their rights and create conflict and disharmony among the population. But much of this fear arises from a belief in the false dichotomy of individualism versus collectivism, manifesting in liberalism versus socialism communism. Integralism does not sacrifice the human person the sake, for the sake of the community, precisely because the community exists for the sake of the human person. This requires further elaboration. St. Thomas makes a distinction be between the human as an individual and the human as a person. This distinction is absolutely fundamental for understanding integralism and avoiding the traps of both individualism and collectivism. We're going to have to stop here and take a break. We're going to come back and talk about the crux here of uh, integralism uh, when we come back. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Did you know that Catholic Spirit Radio can help you with estate planning and end-of-life decisions? We can provide guidance in setting up wills and trusts, making IRA distributions, naming insurance beneficiaries, and donating assets. We also can assist you with health care directives and financial power of attorney. If you want to build a legacy through Catholic Spirit Radio, download our major and planned gift guide on CatholicSpiritRadio.com under the Donate tab or call 309-807-2427. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Rig Reddy, host of The Doctor Is In. For me, Catholic Radio is it's an opportunity to be focused on and be intentional about taking time doing what our Lord said. Go to all the world, teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you. Invite others into this work the Holy Spirit is already doing. Invite them to listen Invite others to a deeper encounter with Christ. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're talking about a defense of organic integralism. And uh, we were talking about the fact that uh, a lot of people uh, view uh, integralism as some sort of... Uh, 
religion that is being forced on people if it was introduced into our law and into our society or as some kind of a theocracy where a religion is being forced on people against their will. And uh, this is not the case. And this article is showing that it is not the case. And that's where we're at now. We're at the crux of the article here and uh, showing why integralism is not what a lot of the critics say it is. And it doesn't uh, force anything on any, anyone. In fact, it uh, provides a far better balance uh, than uh, either pure individualism or over on the other side, collectivism or increasing the state to a larger and larger state power. And we seem to have the worst of both in our society going on today. It goes on here, it says, Viewed as an individual, a human is part of something larger than himself, namely society. In some sense, then, he exists for society. Viewed as a person, however, with a soul and concomitant dignity, a human does not exist for society, but for a higher purpose, happiness here and hereafter. From that perspective, society exists for him to enable him to fully develop his personality and achieve happiness. To quote Father Fahey's excellent book, The Mystical Body of Christ and the Reorganization of Society, quote, man as an individual is for society, but society is for the person. Pius XI confirms this point in Divini Redemptoris. As persons, every human has immense and equal dignity. As individual members of a society, however, natural inequalities between members exist. It is important to remember, in addition, that moral dignity varies from person to person depending on the person's degree of virtue. The integralist understanding of rights and duties and the relation between human being and state flows from this distinction. A person with a soul, a human being, is oriented toward God and has a duty to pursue him. The person's rights are intimately linked to this duty. Thus, for example, everyone has a right to the basic necessities of life, since these are prerequisites for the full development of the human person, and no government can overstep these lines. These basic necessities form a part of the overall common good that government and law must defend. As an individual, however, a human being's rights are not unlimited, and he is not totally autonomous. The member of society is not free to seek after any goal he sees fit, and as part of a larger whole, he has duties toward that whole. Individuals must act with an eye to the common good, sometimes at the expense of their individual specific good. For example, a young man may be called upon to join the army and defend the country against invaders, sacrificing his personal good of bodily safety for the sake of a larger common good, the safety of the nation, which is necessary for the development of virtue. In return, since society is oriented toward the full development of each human person in virtue and therefore happiness, every member has the right to partake of that common good in due measure. That same young man has a right to private property, for example, and to a education and a Christian culture, all of which will develop him as a person. Thus, integralism, rightly considered, 
neither grants unlimited power to the state to override individual rights, nor does it permit unlimited freedom to the individual to seek only selfish and even self-harming ends. By presenting an absolute moral code oriented to God, to which both the government and citizens are to be held, and this is very, very important, both government and citizens, we hear so often this idea, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. But Caesar also has to render to God what is God's. It isn't like Caesar is equal to God, and on the one hand we give God something, and on the other hand we give Caesar something, and Caesar has no responsibilities. Caesar does have the same responsibility as any individual. He has to render to God what is God's also. And there is one of the crux here, a key uh, to what this article is about. In other words, to which government and both citizens are to be held. Integralism offers a middle ground between the self-destructiveness of individualism and the tyranny of collectivist state worship. In other words, the state is also curtailed by its duty toward God in integralism. Fundamentally, integralism stipulates that human rights will not be properly upheld unless the rights of God are first respected in the public sphere. And that's what we don't have right now. And both person and state understand their duties to one another and to God. The two dangerous currents of individualism and collectivism flow from a misunderstanding of the distinction between human personhood and human individuality described above, and also the distinction between the church and the state, not just a separation between the church and the state. Liberalism stresses the first part of Article One of the Declaration of the Rights of Man of 1789. Men are born free, human personhood. While socialism, collectivism, stresses the second part, men are born equal. So what we have today is, on the one hand, this emphasis on equity, somehow everybody is to be made equal, and also this emphasis on individual rights, Someone is somehow supposed to be made equal, but at the same time to be totally self-autonomous. And the two things that not only work against each other, they work against uh, everybody and they work against the state in general. Uh, For liberalism, each man is his own end, totally autonomous, with no obligations to anyone or anything outside himself. Society must maintain this autonomous status of its members. Natural inequalities, however permit some members of society to take advantage of others, sacrificing the weak to the strong. In practice, then, liberalism undermines the equality of human persons. Socialism or collectivism reacts against this, reacts against this obvious injustice, emphasizing equality over freedom. The collectivists then aim at eliminating any inequalities in society sacrificing individual rights for the sake of the collective along the way. So we have this seesawing back and forth from one thing to the other. One, one minute it's the individual is totally autonomous. The next minute is because that uh, allows for all kinds of injustices in society. There's a move toward you know solid collectivism where everybody is to be made equal and the state is to have the power to do it. And we go from, from anarchy, individual to anarchy, to social, you know, total, total social uh, uh, totalitarianism, one back and forth from one to the other. Uh, 
So it goes on here. It says, since both positions begin with a false premises that misses half the picture, both end in disaster. To quote from Father Fahey again, either in the name of liberty, the strong will oppress the weak, or in the name of equality, the manipulators of the coalition will oppress everybody. In both cases, men will be treated as mere individuals and not persons. The opponents of integralism perhaps fear that integralism is really another form of this collectivism, hijacked by elites who will sacrifice the individual to the whole and end up oppressing everyone. And perhaps some who call themselves integralists have something like this in mind. The reality is that integralism, properly understood, respects the rights of citizens and limits state power while also insisting upon citizens and government's duty toward the common good, defined according, according to an objective standard. In other words, it would be the standard, the doctrines and dogmas of the Catholic Church would be the objective standard of goodness and virtue uh, to which the laws will be related to and, and uh, pointed at. Some opponents of integralism argue that integralism leads to the suppression of a freedom and protection of rights that liberalism or non-religious conservatism guarantees. But this reveals a misunderstanding of liberalism as well as of integralism. Ultimately, the freedom of liberalism is an illusion. In the first place, absolute freedom for the individual in the public sphere is simply impossible if we are to avoid total anarchy. Even liberals acknowledge this, at least implicitly, since we retain a rule of law. At least so far we seem to retain some, but it's getting worse. At some point, the exercise of one, in, one individual's rights will infringe upon the rights of another, and the first individual must be stopped. But then the first individual is not completely free. There are limits. Who decides where these limits are? And using what standards? If we are not to refer to an objective standard of morality and conduct, such as that proposed by the integralists, why do one person or group's rights trump another's? Why, for example, does LGBT community's right to avoid hearing so-called offensive language trump the fundamentalist or Catholic's right to religious expression? In other words, why in, in our society it seems today that the so-called, quote, liberal rights seem to trump everybody else's rights? And why is this the case? Herein lies the basic contradiction of liberalism. But in the second place, a neutral public sphere devoid of real standards where all members receive equal freedom of action and belief fails in practice. The reason is that some members of society will make their free goal the domination of other members of society. And according to liberalism's own logic, they should not be stopped. Eventually, those whose private good is power will capture the organs of the state and begin to impose their standard of behavior and belief upon others. According to liberalism, the strong must be permitted to be strong. The weak must be permitted to be weak. Hence, the current state of America's institutions where postmodernism, neo-Marxist leftist beliefs and concerns are the only ones tolerated. Where is liberalism's purported freedom for conservatives? 
Where are the checks and balances? Both unbridled individualism and unchecked collectivism lapse into tyranny. In fact, only a politics rising from the foundations of a true and objective moral order can hope to avoid tyranny in the end. And this is what integralism would provide, an objective moral order, that order being the dogmas and doctrines of the Catholic Church. And they would underline the law. And this is exactly what we did have when we had Christendom, which in effect created Europe and lasted for 1,500 years or longer. And it was very, very workable. And there was a distinction between the church and the state. And there was the idea that both the state and the individual had to render to God what was God's. Render to Caesar what Caesar's, of course. But Caesar has to render to God what's God's just as well as the individual does. And this is what we seem to be missing in the standards that we have here in America. And we keep on uh, moving from one extreme to the other, from extreme individualism to extreme collectivism. And it seems like we're, we're developing a stronger and stronger state that protects certain individual rights. And those rights are usually the rights that are perverse and don't cause personal happiness, but instead do great harm to the individual and society itself. And, and this is what integralism can avoid. We must acknowledge that politics can never be free from ideology. That is liberalism's great lie, that somehow politics can be free from ideology, that it can be neutral. It can't be. Even if liberalism were not itself an ideology, at the very least, it permits the eventual dominance of a single ideology over all others in a kind of political natural selection survival of the fittest. And it seems that what it, what it is preserving right now is what we call wokeism, you know, the woke. And that is being inflicted by force upon uh, lots of other people. Uh, for example, transgender, we have this uh, being forced upon children by the school system. We have school systems that, were, that uh, go around parents and allow children to decide whether a boy, whether he wants to be a girl or a girl, whether she wants to be a boy, and without even involving the parents and keeping this from parents. And if the parent complains, in some instances, the parent is being threatened uh, with the child uh, abuse in front of his own child because the parent disagrees with the idea that the child should be a different gender. In other words, we are reaching a point where the state is coming in and saying, we know best for your child, not you. And uh, if we have to, we will curb your freedom. We will prosecute you in order to have your child treated the way we want your child to be treated and not you. That's what's going on in our so-called liberal free society. And integralism is showing that this would be avoided and these extremes would be avoided. To mutilate a metaphor, Darwin's finches come home to roost in the political order when liberalism reigns. If we recognize that a dominant ideology will always exist in politics, we will be less shocked by integralism, unabashed bias in favor of religion. Yes, because everything comes down to religion. Any primitive society understands that you have to decide what your religion is before you can decide what your laws are. Uh, they don't stand. Um, human beings are innately religious and their laws are based on a foundation of religion, and it has to be something. 
And right now what we have is the religion of wokeism, a fanatical religion that goes to extremes from one extreme of autonomous individualism to the other extreme of state power and collectivism. Integralism would avoid this. Integralism simply tries to replace a harmful and false ideology in the public square with a beneficial and true one. Integralism also need not imply the abandonment of all checks and balances to power. In fact, Catholic social teaching includes the principle of subsidiarity. And this is something we have to talk about, and so, which, which puts a rein on centralizing power. In Quadraissimo Anno, Pius XI writes, just as it is gravely wrong to take from individuals what they can accomplish by their own initiative and industry and give it to the community, so also it is, it is an injustice and at the same time a grave evil and disturbance of right order to assign to a greater and higher association what lesser and subordinate organizations can do. And within the church itself, in other words, the whole idea is if something can be done at the parish level, that's where it should be done. If it can't be done at the parish level, then it should be done at the diocesan level. And if it can't be done at the diocesan level, then it should, should be done at the archdiocesan level. And if it can't be done at that level, then only should it go higher to Rome and to the uh, College of Cardinals, uh, the bishops and the Pope and so forth. In other words, everything that can be done at the lowest level ought to be done at the lowest level. And that, that is an important principle that also would govern uh, integralism. It says, a properly ordered authority does not overwhelm or subsume lower authorities. So we're going to stop here and take a break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Did you know the Catholic Spirit Radio can help you with estate planning and end-of-life decisions? We can provide guidance in setting up wills and trusts, making IRA distributions, naming insurance beneficiaries, and donating assets. We also can assist you with health care directives and financial power of attorney. If you want to build a legacy through Catholic Spirit Radio, download our major and plan gift guide on CatholicSpiritRadio.com under the Donate tab or call 309-807-2427. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Ray Gretti, host of The Doctor Is In. For me, Catholic Radio is it's an opportunity to be focused on and be intentional about taking time doing what our Lord said. Go to all the world, teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you. Invite others into this work the Holy Spirit is already doing. Invite them to listen Invite others to a deeper encounter with Christ. Hi, this is Bob Johnson. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're talking about integralism and how integralism uh, could work in a society as ours, how it could be a basis for a foundation for the law and how it would provide a balance between the state and the individual and the person and a much better balance than we have now under liberalism and that it would not lead to a theocracy and it would not lead to uh, some sort of totalitarian forcing of a particular religion down everybody's throats. It would simply be a foundation to underline the law and it would make everybody freer and it would have objective standards that everybody could know that the law was based on instead of uh, standards that uh, are unclear and standards which go from one extreme to the other. 
we're talking here about a properly ordered authority does not overwhelm or subsume lower authorities. We were talking about Catholic subsidiarity, the idea that everything that can be done at the smallest level should be, and only at a, at a next larger level if it can't be done at the smaller level. Uh, in other words, an, anything that can be done, for example, at a parish level should be done at that level. Uh, it, talking about the state, it would be anything, for example, that could be done at the township level, should be done at the township level or the city level. Uh, before it is ever done, say, at the county level. And then if it can't be done at those levels, it should be done at the county level before it moves up to the state level. And then at the state level before it moves up, you know, to a national level. In other words, keep things local. It goes on here, it says, uh, for every social activity out of its very nature to furnish help to the members of the body social and never destroy and absorb them. Whatever can be handled at a lower level of government should be, though, of course, all levels of government should function with the common good as the goal. And that's what integralism would provide, a specific definition of the common good to underline the law. This is anything but Leviathan. St. Thomas, too, was not unaware of the problems of fallen human nature in relation to power. And that's one thing Catholicism takes into consideration, that we have a fallen nature, that we tend to go downhill, which is called concupiscence, and liberalism does not take that into account. Uh, in fact, John Locke said that you know, people are born a blank slate and can't go one way to the other. But they are not born a blank slate. Nobody is born a blank slate. There is a proclivity toward uh, selfishness and poor behavior on the part of human beings. There also is a proclivity for longing for things that we either uh, don't deserve, haven't paid for, or maybe are beyond our reach. And uh, that leads to a lot of problems as well. So he goes on and says, Coming, commenting on the best form of government in the Summa, St. Thomas writes, a kingdom is the best form of government of the people so long as it is not corrupt. But since the power granted to a king is so great, it easily degenerates into tyranny. And it does the same, actually, with a, even a democratic state. At the very top, there is a lot of power, and it degenerates into tyranny. And he goes on, he says, It degenerates into tyranny unless he to whom this power is given be a very virtuous man. To prevent the generation into a tyranny, St. Thomas advocates a mixed form of government, part monarchy, part aristocracy, and part democracy to provide checks and balances. And that's what we have tried to do through liberalism, but it doesn't work. And with the injection of integralism into the, the foundations of our law, we would have a far more balanced system. Accordingly, the best form of government is in a state or kingdom where one is given the power to preside over all, while under him are others having governing powers, and yet a government of this kind is shared by all, both because all are eligible to govern and because the rules are chosen by all. For this is the best form of polity, being partly kingdom, since there is one at the head of all, partly aristocracy, insofar as a number of persons are set in authority, partly democracy, that is, government by the people, insofar as the rulers can be chosen from the people, and the people have the right to choose their rulers. Thus, an integralist vision of the social order is by no means synonymous with a highly centralized state. It's more like what, what St. Thomas 
just uh, talked about. The implement, implementation of integralism could take many forms, just as there have been historically, just as there have historically been different types of confessional states. Any attempt at integralism in this country would, of course, have to be conducted within the parameters of the existing system, which includes a strong democratic element. An integralist state would involve at least as much cultural percolation as political maneuvering in order to come into being anyway. In other words, it's saying that integralism would have to come in, you know, to our, our country uh, little by little and introduced until people understood what it was and then made as a foundation for the law. We could point back to the past and say that it built, in effect, in integralism, Western civilization, and it built Christendom, and it could do so again. And it's something that did work for 1,500 years. Uh, the implementation of integralism would likely involve both a grassroots movement and an executive approach functioning in tandem. Even supposing a centralized integralist power could be established and that we would want such a thing, it would accomplish very little faced with a population that lacked any education about the common good, the purpose of the government, and the goal of human society itself. In other words, we need that type of education. This is where the term organic integralism comes in. Building something takes much more time and skill than tearing something down. But the whole idea of teaching people to understand that building up a nation or building up a society takes time, takes patience, takes uh, civility, takes politeness. It takes people working together and not jumping all over each other if you don't get your way and that kind of thing. That in itself would be a great exercise. Uh, the collapse of Christendom happened relatively quickly. A few well-timed revolutions, a few important philosophers, a bit of infiltration, a war or two, like fire set at key points inside a cathedral, and the whole thing came crashing down. Some who wish to see the restoration of religion believe it can be achieved through reverse engineering the collapse of Western civilization. All we need to do, they argue, is reverse, infiltrate the existing secular order, seize power, and we will be able to restore a Christian state. But we cannot merely adopt the tactics of the enemy and use them against them because they are often morally impermissible and missable, and because ours is a work of connecting, building, and nurturing, not using violence to tear apart and destroy. Gene Ausset observed this well in his book, Action. One does not build a house in the same way that one demolishes it. And this is a good lesson in and of itself. I mean, the fact is, is that a lot of what goes on in our society today, uh, the demand for all kinds of change and so forth, is just a process of willy-nilly destruction. And we see a lot of our values, our, our virtues, our institutes, uh, some of the, the most positive things we have in society, accused and attacked and torn down uh, in haste without any thinking, like someone would demolish a house. Uh, and societies don't get built that way. This work, which is much more arduous and complex than was the liberal revolution against a Christian order, must be an organic one and a local one. It must respect, respect the principle of subsidiarity outlined above. 
it must not seek to establish a tyrannical centralized power or usurp the existing authorities. And it will defy any attempt at a complete systematic master plan because, first, it will be guided by grace, which operates in a way that baffles human calculations. And second, the growth of a true culture, like an ecosystem, must be allowed to happen naturally and on the local level first. It must be more a matter of conversion and cultural transformation than political usurpation. And if we can introduce this idea into local areas that, oper- that we can operate on different principles than we operate now, uh, it would be a way of introducing integralism into the society on a subsidiarity type of uh, system. It must be more a matter of conversion and cultural transformation than political usurpation. This, after, is all, after all, is how the pagan tribes of the Dark Ages were transformed into the fundamentalists, the, the, or rather the fountainheads of Christendom in the medieval era to begin with. This does not mean that proponents of organic integralism cannot act with intentionality to further the end, however. As Pope Pius XII wrote in 1947, the just man is a Christian who will not be satisfied with standing idly amid the ruins. He will feel it his duty to resist and prevent the catastrophe, or at least to lessen its impact. In our society, as the article that preceded this uh, was saying, is headed for a collapse if it keeps on going in the direction that it's going. We're tearing down all our workable institutions. We're heading in the wrong direction, and we will end up with an authoritarian government that will come in and tell everyone how to live and, and how their children should live uh, with uh, nothing but pure power if we don't do something to change directions. And going back a few years or going back to the 1950s or going back to the 1970s or 1980s or whatever will not do. It will just simply set us on the same path right back to where we're at right now because it's inherently the problem of liberalism. We live in a liberal society, and liberalism has a serious flaw, and that is the flaw of going from anarchic type of individualism, radical individualism, and then causing a reaction that is a collectivist reaction and going to the other extreme of absolutely state power, either held by the people of the left or in some cases advocated by the people of the right. And neither one of them will work. It goes on. It says, the Christian uh, will be there to rebuild. What exactly organic integralism would look like on a practical level is another discussion, however. So we're not talking about what it would look like once it gets in place. But the fact is, is that it doesn't go to either extreme. That would allow for a tremendous amount of individual freedom and that it would allow everybody to know what the objective goals of the law are uh, would be a welcome relief and a, 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 like a breath of fresh air. The shots fired at liberalism in this essay may seem irrelevant to an audience concerned with debates over integralism that are taking place within conservative circles. Why spend so much time attacking liberalism when addressing avowed opponents of it? But I would propose that much of what passes for conservatism in America today is actually classical liberalism or libertarianism, and it is. Uh, what what the conservatism is simply a, a an attempt to go back 
to what we had was called classical liberalism. But classical liberalism ends up uh, reducing down to liberalism, and then it ends up reducing down to a chaos of either uh, radical individualism or the reaction to it, which is a form of collectivism of one kind or another. And he goes on. He says, in fact, I would argue that true conservatism can only be based on the conserving of an objective moral standard against unlimited personal freedom. In other words, conservatives have to know what they are trying to conserve. Conservatives really don't have anything solid to conserve. They keep on conserving, well, let's go back to this, or let's go back to this, or let's go back to the founding of the country. But all they're doing is conserving a form of liberalism that constantly leads to the same problem we've been talking about, radical individualism or radical state collectivism. Uh, This means uh, there is no middle ground between some form of liberalism and a conservatism that boldly upholds an objective moral order. And that's what conservatism has to do. Some kind of moral order order it has to conserve. What is that moral order going to be? And integralists say the Catholic Church provides a moral order that has existed for 2,000 years. And it provides a foundation for law that is workable. It can be injected into the uh, law and a foundation for the law without it going to one radical extreme or the other. It understands that people are not just individuals. They are also persons and uh, that both the state and the individual or the person owes obedience to God and has to render to God what is God's on both sides, not just the individual rendering to God and somehow the, the state not having to. It also understands that what is good for individuals is also good for groups. You don't lose your, your religion or your basic uh, beliefs and principles simply because you join a group. And this is what it seems to be built into our Constitution is that somehow or another that groups of people can operate with no religious foundation while individuals can't. And that, that is a conundrum and sort of an oxymoron in itself. And it goes on, it says, And where will that order be found apart from the Christian tradition? So what other order can conservatives conserve? There doesn't seem to be any order that they would want to conserve unless that order comes from the Christian tradition because when they try to describe what they want to conserve, most of the time, most liberals, even secular liberals, will be describing some form of Christian behavior, some form of civility that derives from the whole idea of Christianity. And so those principles that guide Christianity can be the foundation for the law, and they do not have to force people into going to a particular church or believing in a particular religion, even if those principles are the foundation for the law. And there are principles through which everybody can live and, and uh, interact peacefully with each other. Uh, it goes on, it says, So the critique of liberalism here presented bears relevance, I think, to conversations in conservative circles, too. And so conservatives are out to start talking about what is it that you want to conserve? And if conservatives seriously talk about what they want to conserve, they'll find out that they have a very, very nebulous grasp, really, of what it is that they want to conserve. And uh, they keep on simply redefining classical liberalism, which degenerates all the time, back into what we have. 
At any rate, says, our civilization faces the failure of liberalism, a failure with deathly serious implications for us all. The question we must ask is this. Has the time come at last to have the courage to proclaim objective truths that citizen and ruler alike must submit in order to save society? In other words, must citizen and ruler alike submit to God's laws in order to save society and have our laws based on those laws? Or will we continue to surrender ourselves to the ultimate tyranny of relativistic liberalism until we all are devoured by our own unrestrained desires, our raging appetites, to borrow Shakespeare's term, and those of the people who shrink uh, by asserting the self, uh, those people rather, who assert the self over all else. And I think the time has come when we seriously should uh, look at and think about integralism. We're going to have to stop here and say our prayer, and I hope that everyone enjoyed the program. St. Michael, the Archangel, Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world for the ruin of souls. Amen. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you'd like to contact Bob, email bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Catholic Spirit Radio relies on your support to bring programming like this and EWTN 24 hours a day. Please help keep Catholic Spirit Radio on the air with your generous support. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com. Or send a donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. That's Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Catholic Spirit Radio is a 501c3, and all donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio.